You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt. The episode is on the phone. Sir Bob, the podcast is Sweet America, the Universe Sports Podcast. It is Friday, October 14th, 2022. Baby, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody. It's having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for what should be, you already know, the FFE, the Fun Friday edition of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here's what you need to know. Listen, these Friday shows, the script writes themselves. We're going to open Tennessee, Alabama. I am going to tell you why I think, I'll be blunt, spoiler alert, hate to ruin the segment, I think Tennessee is going to win on Saturday. From there, we will talk about Michigan, Penn State. Take a quick break. Come back and on the rest of a loaded college football slate, we'll talk USC, Utah. We'll talk Florida State, Clemson. We'll talk LSU, Florida. This is what we do on Fridays. And then from there, we'll, of course, wrap with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron is wrong. Really kind of a good spot to hit on a lot of stuff that fell through the cracks this week. We had more talk about NCAA tournament expansion. We had more talk about the Big Ten not expanding, which I told you isn't going to happen for months now. Uh, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, really fun Friday episode. I'll tell you, there is a lot going on right now, and there is no slowing down. Before we get started, I want to remind you of a couple quick things. One, first of all, thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Betfred Sportsbook. I have told you about Betfred. Uh, Betfred in the news over the last couple days. Here's why. So they were starting 1967 in the UK. One of the most respected sports books in the UK came to the US and they are making a splash in ways that you don't even know. Not only the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Aaron Torres Media, but also the Cincinnati Bengals, the Denver Broncos, the Colorado Rockies. And it was funny this week because Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk shouted out Betfred because he saw a Cincinnati Bengals interview with the Betfred logos on the back. So Betfred is taking over. We are so happy to be working with them. Um, And what I would say is what I love about Betfred, there isn't a company on the planet that does a better job of taking care of its customers. As I told you, last week we sent two listeners, four people total, to the Denver Broncos VIP tailgate. On top of that, first pitch of the Colorado Rockies games, Cincinnati Bengals suite. When the Cincinnati Bengals return home, we got the suite over there. 
don't want to, you know, no spoilers, but I may be coming to Cincinnati soon. Torres may be coming to Cincinnati. They take care of their people. Bar crawls in Arizona on and on and on and on and on. And we got two great deals for you. The first, bet 50 on any game this week. Get 250 in free bets. So it doesn't matter if you like Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn against Ole Miss, Kentucky against Mississippi State, whatever. Bet 50, get 250 on any game. And then also, I should tell you, the Bet Fred boost this week, you can get plus 110 odds on Tennessee, plus 7 against Alabama. That is the AT boost. I'm going to tell you why you need to take advantage of it. Thank you to Bet Fred, our presenting sponsor. Also, thank you to Bracket Fanatics. Bracket Fanatics, of course, is our sponsor for our Aaron Torres NFL Pick'em Challenge. Every single week, here's the deal. We got a great deal going. Every week, we're giving out $100 in free cash to the winners of our weekly Pick'em Challenge, and we have a season-long $1,000 cash prize. So if you have not signed up yet, it is not too late. Go to BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. Bracket Torres. Once you're there, you just got to pick every single game. Not against the spread, not over-under. Just a winner and a loser. We get winners every week that win a $100 cash prize. This week, our winner, congratulations to Decade of Dysfunction. I think I know who that is. Great guy, if it is who I think it is. Congrats to him. He is our weekly winner for this week. $100 cash prize and, of course, $1,000 season-long cash prize. Again, it is not too late to enter. It is not too late to make up for lost time. Get in, make your picks. We are giving $100 out every week, $1,000 season-long cash prize. Thank you to Bracket Fanatics. Thank you for everything that they do for the Aaron Torres Pod, Aaron Torres Media. And go to BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket, Bracket. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day You really don't need me to tell you. It's college football. We got ourselves an unbelievable slate. I would argue the best Saturday of college football that we have had yet. Michigan, Penn State in the early window. Alabama, Tennessee at 3.30. That 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock window has LSU, Florida, Florida State, Clemson, USC, Utah. We got other good games across the country. It is going to be a great Saturday of college football. But we all know what the biggest game is, and we all know what, frankly, the biggest storyline is. The biggest game being Alabama at Tennessee, top 10 matchup, great rivalry. Um, Third Saturday in October, this is a tradition that's gone on for decades and decades and decades. And I think you could argue that probably maybe this century, I mean, I'm not enough of a historian to know, but it's been 15, 18, 20 years since one of these games has felt as big and as important as the one that we're about to get Saturday. And I think we know what the conversation is going into this game where Alabama is a seven-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. The conversation, it's pretty straightforward. It is, will Bryce Young play for Alabama? And if he does, and if he doesn't, what does it mean for the outcome of this game? And so when I look at this game, that is obviously the conversation. But I'm just going to get straight to the point, and I'm not going to beat around the bush. I think that we are actually looking at the conversation about Bryce Young wrong, and I think it leads me to this. I'm going to get straight to it. I'm going to tell you, you come here for strong opinions. I actually think Tennessee is going to win on Saturday and win regardless of whether Bryce Young plays. That's not totally a knock on Alabama. That's not totally credit to Tennessee, but let me explain why. First of all, when it comes to Bryce Young, you know, kind of quick update, right? Hurts his shoulder against Arkansas, doesn't play last Saturday against Texas A&M. 
Um, and then this week, you know, Nick Saban for the last really two weeks, dating back to the Arkansas game, he's been pretty coy with Bryce Young news. And I don't get the sense that he's doing it purposely or to man- manipulate us. I just think he doesn't know. I really think it is a game time deal, a day to day thing. And Nick Saban used the word pitch count to describe Bryce Young's situation the other day. Pitch count essentially being like a pitcher where, yeah, he can go if you need him to, but you might only throw him 50 pitches instead of letting him go 100. You might let him only throw four or five innings instead of letting him go nine. And that's where Bryce Young appears to be. Like he can probably play if if he needs to, but it doesn't feel as though he's 100%. And so to me, when I look at kind of the 30,000-foot view on Bryce Young, I think we have to look at it from three different perspectives. The perspective where he plays and he's 100% healthy. The perspective where he plays and he's at less than 100%. And the perspective that he doesn't play at all. And so as we get more information, as we get deeper into the week, I think we can just go ahead. And again, I don't claim to be a doctor, but I'm just reading the tea leaves. I'm reading what Nick Saban says. I think we can go ahead and eliminate the idea that he's going to play at 100%. Don't claim to be a doctor. Not saying I am. I'm just saying if he is not practicing at 100% on Wednesday, I find it very hard to believe that by Saturday, middle of the day, he's going to be 100% like it's week one and he's fresh as daisies. I just don't buy that. And so when you start to look at the situation, the question then becomes, what is Alabama with Bryce Young at less than 100% if he plays at all? Let's work under the assumption that he plays because I think if he doesn't play, I think that makes it even more likely that Alabama is not able to win this game. But even if he does play, I I think this is the part of the the equation that people have gotten wrong all week. I think all week people are saying, what if Bryce Young doesn't play? Here's my question, though. What if he plays and he's not at 100%? Because I think that's probably where we're trending on Saturday, and I think that could be bad news for Alabama. Listen, Bryce Young is an incredible talent. He might be the most talented quarterback in college football right now. But at the same time, part of what makes Bryce Young Bryce Young is he can do things he can't coach. He can make plays on the run. He can make plays with his feet. He can make throws across his body at weird angles, this, that. And I guess what I wonder going into Saturday is, is Nick Saban going to let him be that guy? Like, if he plays, I don't think Nick Saban's going to want him running around like crazy trying to make plays with his feet. And so when you look at Alabama with Bryce Young at less than 100%, that's a completely different Alabama. And I do wonder if even if Bryce Young plays, if Nick Saban, again, pulls back the reins and almost says, look, I I think Nick Saban is very smart about all of this stuff. Even if Bryce Young plays, I think one, it obviously gives Alabama a much better chance to win. But two, I think Nick Saban understands the big picture, 30,000, what it all means if, if Bryce Young, something were to happen in this game, right? One, I think Nick Saban is going to pull back the reins because he wants to protect Bryce Young. We just saw it three, four years ago with Tua where Tua begged back into a game against Mississippi State, his hip gets hurt really bad, and we thought it might be a career-ending injury. So I don't think Nick Saban wants that again. I think he wants to protect his player. But then also I think he wants to protect the season as well. And when I look at what Nick Saban is probably thinking going into this game, this is what I believe Nick Saban is thinking because it's what I'm thinking. It's what most of you are thinking. Alabama can still win a national championship if Bryce Young plays, but Alabama does not win this game. Alabama cannot win a championship if they don't have Bryce Young going forward. And so that's the first part to me. I don't think either Bryce Young doesn't play or I think he is very limited in what they allow him to do because Nick Saban's sitting there saying, we can lose this game and come back. What we can't do is lose Bryce Young for the season. Then we're in a lot of trouble. The second part about why I do like Tennessee, I think we got to talk about Alabama outside of Bryce Young. 
Now, on paper, all the pieces feel good. And I do give credit to Alabama because some of these other guys have emerged outside of Bryce Young. Jameer Gibbs has been unbelievable the last two, three weeks picking up in his absence. The defensive line, the defensive front, I think the defense is really underrated because we spend so much time talking about Bryce Young in the offense. But there are concerns with this team. And to be honest, I think even Alabama fans would admit this. Alabama's not playing winning football right now. You know who's saying that? Nick Saban said that. We talked about that on Thursday's show. Did you hear his press conference earlier this week where he basically said, before we can start making winning plays, we have to stop. We have to learn how to stop making losing plays. And you look at this Alabama team, and it's no disrespect to the players, and it's no disrespect to the coaching staff. They're just not playing winning football right now. What did I tell you a few days ago? This is a team that currently, as I record here, they rank 117th nationally in turnover margin. Does that sound like a team that's going to go on to win a championship to you? And I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying it has to get cleaned up. And when you're going in a hostile road environment with a quarterback that's at best injured, at worst not playing, you can't be a team that turns the ball over a lot. Just one problem. What did I just say? 117th in turnover margin. Turning the ball over at a fairly high rate. Now, part of it was they turned the ball over four times last week against Texas A&M. But then on top of that, this is the crazy part. They're not forcing any turnovers at all themselves. Go back and look. They forced three turnovers this year. That is unbelievable, especially when you consider they played a backup quarterback against Texas A&M. They essentially played a backup quarterback for three quarters against Texas. So maybe against the two best teams you played, or two out of the three if you include Arkansas in the mix, you played most of that time against the backup quarterback. And so when I look at this Alabama situation, um, forget Bryce Young. This is a team that is turning the ball over too much, isn't turning, forcing enough turnovers. And then on top of that, you add the penalties. Like, this is unbelievable. This is not the Alabama team that we know. Alabama has been in the top 25 in turnover margin each of the last three years. I looked it up. They're one of the best in the country at it. But they're turning the ball over too much. They're not forcing enough turnovers. And here's the crazy part. That's on top of all the penalties. I remember talking about this after the Texas game. Remember the Texas game? Alabama, so many penalties, so many dumb mistakes, 15 total penalties, which was a record in the Nick Saban era. Fast forward, you think it got better? They had 10 penalties against Arkansas. So in their two road games this year, their two true road games, they have a combined 25 penalties, 12 and a half penalties per game. You do that against Tennessee. You have even seven or eight, forget 12 and a half. You have seven, eight penalties. You give them an extra 50, 60, 70, 80, 95 yards. You're not winning this game. And the final reason I like Tennessee, I'll just tell you, Hennon Hooker, isn't he kind of the prototype of the guys that have beat, beaten Alabama in the past? I mean, think about the quarterbacks that have given Nick Saban trouble through the years. Deshaun Watson, Johnny Manziel, Cam Newton, Joe Burrow. Chad Kelly. I mean, you could go on and on down the list. What do they all have in common? They're guys that can make plays with their arm. They're guys that can make plays with their feet. And if you just listen to Nick Saban throughout this week, you could hear his respect for Josh Heupel, his respect for Hennon Hooker, his respect for this Tennessee offense. And you look at Hennon Hooker, he's the perfect quarterback to pull off the upset against Alabama. Super accurate, doesn't make mistakes. 70% completion percentage, 10 touchdowns, zero interceptions. I believe the stat's something like 42 touchdowns, two interceptions since he's been named starter. I've lost track of how many exactly. 
but a ton of touchdowns, no interceptions this year. And here's the other thing. He can make plays with his legs. In the biggest game of the year, when they needed him to move outside of the pocket, 100-plus rushing yards against Anthony Richardson. And so I could go on and on. And there are places, by the way, where Alabama has advantages. That defensive front is going to be the best defensive front in the Tennessee sees all year. Um, there's other variables as well. And maybe Bryce Young is 100%. But I think when you factor that based on the information we have right now, Bryce Young probably isn't 100% with the fact that Alabama has been very mistake-prone, turnover-prone, penalty-prone, even with Bryce Young in the lineup. And the fact that Hendon Hooker is the type of quarterback that gives Alabama fits, I am taking Tennessee to pull the upset on Saturday in Neyland Stadium. I'll say final score, 31-28 to 28, Tennessee. I like Tennessee. I really, really, really do. I think Tennessee pulls off the upset on Saturday. I cannot believe I'm saying that. All right, let's get to the other big game on the slate. Well, there's really actually two or three big games on the slate, uh, but the other top 10 matchup on the slate, Penn State going to Michigan. Michigan's a seven-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook, over under at 51 and a half. And as weird as it sounds, one thing I'll say about this game, I think as weird as this sounds, and I know I just said that, but I'm going to say it again, I don't really know how much we really know about either of these teams, and I think we're going to learn a lot this coming weekend. When you look at Michigan, listen, I'm not going to discredit Michigan for being 6-0 and at this point in the season, but they played three nobodies in the out-of-conference, except UConn's won two games since then, no big deal. But UConn's not very good. Colorado State's not very good. Hawaii is terrible. You play Maryland to open Big Ten play, and you really struggle. 34-27 is the final score. Blake Corn bails you out. Struggle at Iowa, put them away late. Struggle against Indiana, 17-10 going into the fourth quarter before you put them away. It's not to discredit Michigan. It's not to say that they're terrible or they're overrated. I just don't think we know very much about them, and I think we're going to learn a lot this weekend. From the Penn State perspective, though, I don't know how much we know about them either. I think we all thought it was this incredible win that they had the, uh, a few weeks ago against Auburn. Well, now we see what has happened to Auburn since then. They are a train wreck. I think this might be Brian Harson's last weekend as Auburn's head coach. And so when I look at the situation in this game, I think we're going to learn a lot about both teams. And I think there's one player we're going to learn about as well, and that's J.J. McCarthy, the Michigan quarterback. Listen, I, I'm not here to criticize and pick apart. And he's been actually very good, uh, especially in the three games since he was named starter for Michigan coming out of those out-of-conference games. Again, beat Maryland, beat Iowa, beat Indiana. But to the credit of Jim Harbaugh, to the credit of his staff, they've really done a good job of making sure that J.J. McCarthy is put in very advantageous positions for a starting quarterback. This is a guy that uh, has been quarterback, but really this team has relied a lot on the run game and the defense. The run game has been awesome the last three weeks. Blake Corum, Michigan record, I believe it was, 243 yards against Maryland, 150-plus yards on the ground for Michigan. Well, Penn State is by far the best run defense that Michigan has seen so far this year, top five in the country. And then on top of that, also limiting opponents to about 70 or so yards per game on the ground, two and a half yards per carry. They are top 10 in all of these categories. And the one thing about Penn State under James Franklin that you have not had to worry about is that Penn State has always played defense. The offense hasn't always been there, but the Penn State defense has been great. It is once again great this year. And so I'm very curious to see how J.J. McCarthy handles himself against what will be the best defense that I believe he's seen all year, or at the very least as good as the one that he faced against Iowa um, a few weeks ago. So from the Michigan perspective, that's what I think we learned. 
From the Penn State perspective, I'll say this. Listen, I know people like to tear down James Franklin. and We talked a lot about James Franklin over the last two, three, four weeks. But at the same time, what stands out to me about James Franklin and this team specifically against Penn State, I do think that they finally not only have an identity, but for the first time in a few years, I think they're playing really good complementary football. I'm going to use a big fancy term, complementary football. What does that mean? They run the ball. They play defense. They can pass. That's not something they've always been able to do. Last year, if you remember, they were miserable trying to run the football. They ranked 118th nationally. Well, right now they're in the top 25 nationally, thanks in large part to the freshman Nicholas Singleton, 100 plus yards against uh, Penn State at or against uh, Auburn at Auburn, 100 plus yards the week after against Central Michigan, and all of a sudden, when Penn State can run the ball, a funny thing has happened. Sean Clifford doesn't look as bad, and I haven't been a Sean Clifford guy, and I might not be again after Saturday, but I'm just sitting here to tell you, like, I look at Sean Clifford and I say, you know, maybe he's not that bad. Maybe he just needed some help. And so you go back to what I just said. Last year, they struggled to move the ball, and I think it's an important variable to consider as well. I think part of the reason that Penn State as a top-10 team is a seven-point underdog. Listen, Michigan's probably the better team, but Michigan's coming off a college football playoff appearance. Penn State's coming off a seven-and-five year. But even when I go back to last year, think about that Penn State team now. Think about the fact, how about this? Penn State, if you remember last year, they went 7-5. and five And, oh, James Franklin got a big extension just because USC was interested in him. And he took a lot of heat, and the team took a lot of heat. But I always go back to one thing with Penn State. Yes, they're 7-5, and five, but they started 5-0. and oh. They were up 17-3 to three at Iowa. I'll never forget this. They were up 17-3 to three at Iowa, and Sean Clifford, their starting quarterback, gets hurt. They fall apart against Iowa. They lose the next game when he's at less than 100%. They finish 7-5, and five, but four of those five losses were by four points or less. That includes a four-point loss to Michigan at home in which they led with four minutes to go. And so Penn State, to me, is almost the reverse Michigan State. They lost a ton of really close games. Michigan State won a ton of really close games, and everybody thought they were, I thought they were overhyped coming in because of it, and Penn State was probably a little bit undervalued. And so as I look at this game, I will tell you, I do like Penn State to cover. I do like Penn State to keep it close. And I do wonder if Penn State becomes this week's Tennessee. And what do I mean by Penn State becomes this week's Tennessee? Last week, Tennessee, we knew they were good. Top whatever they are. But we were going to learn a lot as they went on the road to LSU and just how good they are. Now, I'm not comparing LSU to Michigan. Michigan's a much better team and program right now. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, did we learn a ton about Tennessee. They're a really good football team. I think we could be saying the same thing about Penn State, right? What do we really know about them? Well, after Tennessee destroys LSU, oh, they're really good. Now, in Tennessee's case, they have a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback. And this is a team that's dangerous in the SEC regular season picture, the SEC East picture, and potentially a, a playoff sleeper. I don't know if we're going to be talking playoff sleeper with Penn State, but I think they can win this game. And I think there's a scenario where we come out of it saying, you know, the run game has been figured out. When the run game is figured out, that helps Sean Clifford. The defense is really good. I'm not saying. I just don't think the gap between these teams is too big. I think Penn State at the very least covers, and I do think they can potentially win this game. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. We will rip through the rest of the Week 7 slate in college football. We'll talk Clemson, Florida State. We'll talk LSU Florida. We'll talk Kentucky and Mississippi State. A few other games. Then we'll get to Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. Take a quick break. Be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply all right everybody I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, let's get to the rest of the week seven slate. One, cannot believe we're at week seven. Two, it shows you how good these games are that I haven't even gotten to. We're in the second segment. I haven't gotten to Utah, USC. I haven't gotten to Clemson, Florida State. I haven't gotten to LSU, Florida. Um, so it's just an unbelievable group of games. Let's get into it really quick. Uh, I do want to start with, I think, probably the third marquee game of Saturday. And what's cool is, they're all spaced out pretty evenly, right? We got uh, Penn State, Michigan in the early window. We got Tennessee, Alabama in that mid-window. And then in the late window, we got a couple great games. But how about this? USC going to Utah. I think really the first super marquee game of the Lincoln-Riley era. And I'm really excited and I'm really fascinated. I'm curious to see if they can keep this thing going. First of all, from the USC perspective, listen, I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying it. I, I, I give the Lincoln-Riley credit. I think this team is ahead of schedule, right? I mean, you got Brent Venables over there at Oklahoma, inherited a much better situation. I know the schedule's probably been a little bit tougher, and I know people say, oh, Lincoln Riley left a mess at Oklahoma. No, he didn't leave a mess at Oklahoma. It wasn't great, but Lincoln Riley inherited a 4-8 team. Team was a complete disaster, and his credit, he hit the portal hard, brought Caleb Williams with him, and now you have a team that's 6-0. And so when I look at this team, I'm impressed, right? I mean, I, I didn't think it was going to be this good, this easy, this quickly, and it speaks to how good of a coach Lincoln Riley is. Maybe, you know, they haven't played the tougher games in the Pac-12 yet. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say they played a murderer's row. I'm really, really impressed with this team, though. I would also temper that by saying that I think this was the game that we all kind of circled on the calendar back in July and August of, okay, this is where we start to find out how good USC is because Utah is a team that is going to give them problems. And so why will Utah give them problems? It's because the things that USC does really well, um, the things that USC does really well, Utah can slow them down. From the USC perspective, I think we all know the offense is awesome. Lincoln Riley, it's, he's good at what he does, right? There's a reason they're paying him $10, $11 million a year at USC. But what I don't think people realize is most of the offense has actually been, I don't want to say most, 
But it's been a very good balance. I used the term uh, complementary football a, a second ago when I talked about Penn State. Well, USC is doing a really good job of playing complementary football in its own right. When we think about uh, Lincoln Riley, I think we think about all the quarterbacks, the two Heisman Trophy winners, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Heisman Trophy runner-up, Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams, whatever. We think about all the quarterbacks. I think it's Travis Dye that you could legitimately argue has been USC's most important player. Four 100-yard rushing games in the last five games. He has been absolutely dynamic, and it's taken a lot of pressure off Caleb Williams in a way that the run game could not do that at Oklahoma last year. Not blaming it, whatever. I'm not getting the Lincoln-Riley versus Oklahoma versus USC conversation, but one, there's the run game. And two, the other thing that USC has done literally better than anybody in the country is turnover margin. They forced 14 turnovers in six games. They have turned it over only once. And what concerns me going into this Utah game, Utah, their strengths go directly against USC's strengths in this game. Utah, the run defense is actually pretty good. I thought it was interesting. They did give up a lot of yards against UCLA last week, and I found it very interesting that people immediately defaulted, and I think this is the Pac-12 anti-bias, right? The SEC bias is when somebody beats somebody else, oh, that team is so good because they beat that team. In the Pac-12, it's that team lost to that team, so they must stink. Well, no, sometimes other sometimes good teams beat other good teams, and I do think this UCLA team is pretty freaking good. Well, they had 203 yards rushing against Utah on last week, and I don't think Utah is going to give up anywhere close to that this week. If you take out the UCLA game, Utah has been good against the run all year. They've essentially been good the last decade under Kyle Whittingham, and I do think they can slow things down. They can make Caleb Williams make plays. And then on top of that, Utah doesn't turn the ball over. They're actually in the top 15 nationally as well in turnover margin, and so I would be worried if I was a USC fan. The blueprint that they've used to beat teams, the run game, forcing turnover, Caleb Williams, big plays with his arm, it's going to be a little bit harder at Utah. The other thing I would consider in this game, USC's been good on the road. They haven't been unbeatable on the road, though. And by the way, most people in college football aren't. Alabama isn't. Georgia almost lost at Missouri. So it's not a criticism of USC. But you look at USC, remember, almost lost to Oregon State a few weeks ago. 17-14 to 14 was the final score there. And then if you remember, they played Stanford in week two. They won 41 to 28, but you go back to that game and Stanford had two turnovers deep inside their own territory, which basically set up 10 gimme points for USC, a touchdown and then a field goal. So you take off those 10 points off the board, all of a sudden you're looking at a situation where, you know, a 30, you're looking at a 31-28 game feels a lot different than 41-28. So I could go on and on, but USC is a three or USC is a three and a half point underdog in the Betfred Sportsbook. I actually do like USC to not win this game. It's a weird way of saying it. I like Utah to win. I think they're just a bad matchup for USC. Doesn't stop USC from reaching any of their goals this year. Remember, they still have to play at UCLA. They win that game. They're probably going to the Pac-12 championship game. No Oregon on the schedule. No Washington on the schedule. Really interesting times for USC. Really quickly, some of the other games I want to get to. Clemson, Florida State. You know, I talked about USC overachieving. I don't think we can say Clemson is overachieving. They were the ACC favorite in the preseason. Even in a down year last year, they won 10 games. But if you think about what we were talking about, and I talked about this the other day, when you talk about how we were talking about Clemson in the preseason, 10 wins, DJ can't do this, they're taking a step back, the ACC is catching up. Well, they're 6-0. They've won 
they've been two top 25 teams in the last two weeks. They've won two conference road games in the last three weeks. Um, and so I, I look at this whole situation at Clemson, and I say, I don't ever remember a team this good virtually getting no publicity at all. Now, part of it, it's the ACC. I get it. I also think people probably just don't like Dabo Sweeney that much, and so that's probably part of it as well. But when I look at this Clemson team, man, they are a really, really, really talented team. They're going to Florida State, and I'll just tell you, I do like Clemson, and I'll tell you why. That Clemson defense is really, really, really good, and I don't think people realize just how good. So I looked up these stats a a, a little bit ago, and this blew me away, okay? So Clemson, in two weeks ago, they played NC State at home. Clemson plays NC State. NC State is a top 25 team at that point. They're actually a top 15 team at that point. I think we all thought NC State could give them trouble. Well, the NC State didn't because they couldn't move the ball. 34 rushing yards on 21 carries for Penn State, or for NC State, excuse me. And then last week against Boston College, and I know Boston College isn't as good, 25 rushing yards on 30 carries. So I'm not great at math. I count 59 rushing yards on 51 rushing attempts over the last two weeks against the Clemson defense. Good luck with that. And with Florida State, I think that's the big thing. Who they are, what they're defined by, is the fact that they do run the football very effectively. I think they're going to struggle with that. I think it's going to put more on Jordan Travis's legs. Jordan Travis, their quarterback, is uh, about a 63% completion guy. Not great in the pocket. I do like Clemson to win this game. Staying in the same state uh, as that Florida State-Clemson game, let's go over to Gainesville, where LSU is going to play against Florida. And what I want to say about this game, I'll just be quick on this one because neither team is ranked in whatever. But when I look at this game, a couple things stand out. One, LSU, it's almost the same thing I just said about Stanford-USC a minute ago. LSU had two really dumb plays that gave Tennessee 10 points last week. They muffed the opening kickoff of the game. That's seven points on the board for Tennessee. And then Brian Kelly had some weird play calling late that allowed Tennessee to get a field goal right before the half. So you do some quick mental math. That's 10 points that LSU gave Tennessee. Uh, And if LSU loses that game, they lost 40 to 17. If they lose 30 to 17, I'm not saying that people are happy. But what I am saying is it does feel like one of those scenarios where probably we feel a little bit different about LSU. Keep in mind also, as great as that Tennessee pass rush is, and I think they're really good, LSU is without a starting left tackle. He comes back in this game, and I like LSU as an underdog at Florida. When I look at Florida, what I see is this. I don't see a very good football team right now, and I think a lot of the Florida opinion is skewed by two things. They beat Utah in week one, and Anthony Richardson had another an out-of-body experience against Tennessee a few weeks ago. Against Tennessee, this is what Anthony Richardson did. 443, 453 yards passing, two touchdowns in that upset. You know what he's done the rest of the season if you take out that Tennessee game against FBS teams? He's played four other FBS teams. Utah, Kentucky, South Florida, Missouri. How about this? 489 yards, one touchdown, five interceptions. And so I'm sorry, I don't buy this Anthony Richardson turn a corner against Tennessee. Look at what he did last week against Missouri in a home game for the Gators. 8 of 14, 68 yards, one touchdown, one interception. 
That guy turned a corner. No, I like LSU to win this game. Really quickly, Mississippi State of Kentucky. Mississippi State's a four-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. I like Mississippi State, and I know it's possible that Will Levis is back. The reports seem to indicate that he will be back, but it's kind of what I said about Bryce Young earlier. With Bryce Young, um, you know, I said, even if he plays, is he going to be at 100%? I kind of feel the same way about Will Levis. Will Levis missed last week with a foot injury. Is he just going to come back and run and throw all over the field? I don't really see it. I like Mississippi State. Remember, this was a team I liked in the preseason. I said, take the over of six and a half wins. Well, they're five and one. Their one loss they led going into the fourth quarter. And all of their wins, all five of them, including wins against Texas A&M, against Arkansas, they're all by double figures. Really good team. I like the Mississippi State over Kentucky. Uh, a couple others to keep an eye on. I'm not going to preview them. Oklahoma, Kansas. My buddy Brent Venables. You better not lose to Kansas at home. I know Kansas has improved. You lose to Kansas at home. The Boo Birds are going to come out. Texas plays Iowa State early. Texas, you want to prove to America that you've turned a corner, that it's not all the joking Texas is back, go out and win that game. And an interesting one in the Big Ten West, how about Minnesota as an almost touchdown favorite on the road at Illinois? These are the top, you will not believe this. These are the top two defenses in all of college football right now, Illinois and Minnesota. No strong opinion on that one, but that one should be fun. All right, loaded, loaded, loaded show today uh, and loaded, loaded, loaded week in college football. What I do want to do, though, I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And when I come back, I want to wrap with what has quickly become America's favorite segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We do it every Friday. And I think this week we actually have quite a bit to talk about some smaller stuff that fell through the cracks. Kevin Warren had some things to say about Big Ten expansion. Uh, we have new rumors about an expanded NCAA tournament, the one and done, plus the usual college football. Going to take a quick break. We will be right back. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap with what has quickly become America's favorite podcast segment. That is right where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Concept of the segment, oh, you already know it is very straightforward. Stole it from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Uh, Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast for one simple reason. It is because over the course of a week, a month, a year, nobody gives out more sports opinions than I do. And I'm actually giving out way more now because I'm doing five episodes a week. And when I get opinions right, you already know, 
I love to tell you, Torres told you this. Why didn't you listen to Torres on that? Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Torres, 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 Torres. I never shut up. But that said, I get a lot of stuff wrong too, though. And that is why we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Highlighting my best thoughts and opinions of the week, but also my worst thoughts and opinions of the week. And I got a lot of them. We do it to wrap every Friday show. Fun way to wrap the week. Where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was right. So... USC and UCLA left for the Pac, left the Pac-12 for the Big Ten in the final day of June into July. And from the second that they left the Pac-12, it immediately became, well, who's the Big Ten going to take next? Who are they going to get? What happens from here? And what I continuously said was unless Notre Dame decides they want to join a conference, the Big Ten isn't going to expand. And people said, oh, no. They have to bring more uh, West Coast teams to help out UCLA and USC. What did I say all along? I said that the presidents of the current 14 Big Ten schools do not care about Oregon, do not care about Washington, do not care about helping USC and UCLA. They care about what's doing best for their athletic departments. And so what happened earlier this week? We had Big Ten media days. Kevin Warren was on the podium He was asked about expansion. Actually, this might have been a one-on-one with Mike DeCourcy, but regardless, here is what he said. Expansion is not something we're aggressively doing right now. Do I think certain conferences may grow through natural evolution to 18 to 20 schools? I do. Now, over what period is a critical question? I don't know if that's within a year, five, or seven. This is exactly what I told you. Listen, expansion only makes sense if schools bring value to the existing schools in the conference. There is nobody outside Notre Dame that brings current value to the Big Ten, certainly not enough where they are going to blow up the existing TV contracts and where, oh, by the way, the other 14 schools plus UCLA and USC are going to get more than they already get. I've never understood this push. It's simple economics. As my old buddy J.J. Reddick said, it's a simple math equation, F-head. Unless it's Notre Dame, nobody adds more value to these TV contracts. I've been saying it since the beginning. Kevin Warren confirmed where Aaron was wrong. So let's go back to Monday's show, where I did a big segment on why I think Oklahoma has to consider firing Brent Venables. Uh, Yeah, I was pretty wrong on this guy. Okay, so in the preseason, if you listen to this show, and of course you were listening, I don't think anybody hyped Oklahoma more than I did. I said, look, I think the defense is going to be better under Brent Venables. They're going to be tougher. They're going to be more physical. And I really like this transfer quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, they brought in. And I think the offense is going to be really good as well. Well, Dylan Gabriel's hurt, and we talked about that. But what I am stunned by is just how bad the offense is. 500-plus yards to Kansas State three weeks ago, 668 yards to TCU two weeks ago, and, of course, last weekend, a 49-0 drubbing of Oklahoma by Texas, their their cross-river rivals. And so, listen, this is going off the rails really quick. And here's another thing to consider. I was thinking about this, and I talked about it a little bit uh, a minute ago when I previewed the Clemson-Florida State game. Clemson's defense has not missed a beat without Brent Venables. USC is immediately better. The second Lincoln Riley walked in the door and Oklahoma is going in the toilet. But Oklahoma fans are trying to tell me that Brent Venables isn't the problem. He's the solution. Listen, I was the guy pushing. I was driving the Brent Venables, uh, you know, bandwagon. And then what happened? I saw it going off a cliff and I jumped out the side of the car while the car was still driving. So listen, could things turn around? Maybe. But what I will tell you, Lincoln Riley, I don't care if it was a backup quarterback, third string quarterback, fourth string quarterback, 
Oklahoma has never taken losses like that, not in my lifetime. The fact that we are six games into the Venables era, I would be very concerned if I was Oklahoma fans. Oklahoma 3-3 three and three, heading into Saturday's game against Kansas. Where Aaron was right. Another little college sports, you know, kind of expansion nugget. Um, about six, seven weeks ago, I told you the story about how Greg Sankey was secretly behind the scenes trying to convince people and get allies to expand the NCAA tournament. Well, as I said, we have media days across college basketball right now. And Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC, was very blunt in that he wants the same. His exact quote was, the time is now. The time is now as we're looking at the overall structure of the NCAA. And one of our responsibilities has been championships. I'm in favor of looking at it, and I would really like it to expand. Hmm, very interesting. So you have the commissioner of the most powerful conference overall in the SEC. And you have the commissioner of the ACC, which has historically been the best basketball conference or one of the two or three best basketball conferences. Oh, so those guys want expansion. And why is that? It's because it benefits them. Now, I'll give Jim Phillips a little bit of credit because he did say he doesn't want to remove the automatic qualifier. So the St. Peter's, the Central Connecticut's, the Eastern Kentucky's, the Murray State's, they would still get in if they won their conference. But at the same time, all this is about is the simple fact that the SEC and the Big Ten and the ACC want to get more teams in because they want more money. But here's the problem. We have 68 spots. We struggle to get 68 teams any given year. There aren't that many good teams. They're going to try to tell you that we're leaving out teams that are deserving. They're going to try to tell you, and they're trying to tell you, that we're leaving out teams that are good enough to win the championship. Because George Mason and UCLA and a bunch of other schools made it as an 11 seed to the Final Four. Maybe not George Mason. Maybe it was uh, VCU. Here's the bottom line. I tell you this stat all the time. Since 2007, the last, what is that, 15 NCAA tournaments, 11 have been won by one seeds. One has been won by the number one two seed in Villanova in 2016. And the other two championships were won by UConn in 2011 with Kemba Walker and UConn in 2014 with Shabazz Napier. So don't tell me we're leaving out teams that are good enough to win it all when the last 15 years tells us that if you are not one of the top five teams in the country, a one seed or the top two, and you, or you don't have the best player in the country, those are the only teams that have won the championship. So don't tell me this. They're going to keep pushing for it. And what I would do, I would keep pushing on your social media. I would keep pushing in your channels. Hope that people that care about college basketball, like myself, I saw John Rothstein tweeting about it. I saw Sam Vecini tweeting about it. I saw Rob Douster tweeting about it. Hope these guys and girls keep pushing it because the bottom line is nobody wants this. Fans don't want it. I would argue that fans of schools that could get in, if your team finishes ninth in the ACC, chances are pretty good. You don't want to watch them anymore once the tournament starts anyway. Same with the 11th in the SEC or the 12th in the Big Ten or whatever. Nobody wants it except for the commissioners who benefit to make the most. We have to put a stop to this, where Aaron was wrong. So Tennessee's playing a big game this weekend against Alabama. You heard my pick earlier, and let me just say this. Your boy was dead wrong on Josh Heupel. So the bottom line is this, is that, and I talked about this on, I guess it was maybe one of the shows this week. I do so many shows I can't even keep track. But I said, the day Josh Heupel was hired, I didn't think it was a good hire. Remember, Tennessee had just fired Phil Fulmer as their AD. They had just fired Jeremy Pruitt as their head coach, and they brought in Danny White, the AD from Central Florida. 
And then Danny White, the AD from Central Florida, hires his football coach for the most prominent position at the University of Tennessee. And I said, this is nepotism. He's bringing his buddy along for the ride. I hate this. Uh, Yeah, I was dead wrong. Tennessee comes into this game as the number one offense in college football, top 10 in the country. And I think they have a realistic shot of upsetting Alabama. Credit to Danny White. He clearly knew something I didn't. Surprise, surprise. He worked with the guy for years. Uh, Great hire by Tennessee. It's great to see Tennessee back. Cannot wait to watch the game this week. Where Aaron was right. So if you listen to the college football betting show, all offseason, I did a pack, I did conference previews. And in the Pac-12 conference, I said, my favorite over-under bet of the year is the UCLA Bruins over eight and a half. They had the number one offense in the Pac-12 last year. They returned basically everybody. And they have a defense that struggled, but they signed about six, seven difference makers in the portal. Well. We all watched that Utah game last week. UCLA is awesome. I think they're a legitimate top 10 team. I think they are probably the best team in the Pac-12. I think they're a legitimate college football playoff contender. Now, look, did they get some luck along the way? A lot of fifth-year seniors? Absolutely. But also, credit Chip Kelly. I talked about it on Monday's show. This was a guy that could have had a lot of different jobs. He wanted to go to a place where he had time, where he had the ability to build it his way with the guys that he wanted. And he wouldn't be run out of the building the second that he went on a two-game losing streak like they would have at some other schools. UCLA is legitimately good. As I said in the Utah-USC preview, Utah being whatever they are, 5-2 and two right now, 4-2, and two, losing to UCLA, that's not a byproduct of, of Utah being overrated. That's a byproduct of UCLA being darn good. Credit to UCLA. They are awesome. Cannot wait to see them back on the field. Or Aaron was wrong. Let's kind of start to wrap up here a couple other ones. And I'll just say this, I was wrong on Bama. I said I thought this was going to be one of the great Bama teams of the Nick Saban era. I don't see it. Defense is really elite. Um, Bryce Young is awesome. And I think the skill positions are really nice, most notably Jameer Gibbs. But this team is sloppy. This team is penalty-ridden, as I said a minute ago. 117th in penalties, 118th in turnover margin. That's not a great football team. Now, you might be able to win games based on talent, and Nick Saban's still the greatest coach in the sport, and Bryce Young's the greatest player in the sport. But at some point, when you have that many penalties and that many turnovers without forcing any on your own, it's going to cost you. Maybe it's Saturday in Knoxville. Maybe it's a few weeks at Ole Miss. Maybe it's down the road in the SEC championship game. I don't know. But we're now six games through the season. This is not the Bama team that I thought. They can still turn it around. They can still win a national championship. But Nick Saban said it himself. They're not playing winning football right now. They are not playing winning football right now. Quickly, Aaron Wright. Jonathan Gavoni, ESPN, was at Team USA basketball minicamp this week for the younger players, so 18 and under. He kind of felt the temperature of the room, and it was near universal. Remember, these Team USA camps, they can have NBA coaches, NBA scouts, NBA personnel. It was universal. Nobody in the NBA wants to remove the one and done. This story came out about three, four weeks ago. Shams Charania, if you remember, I said uh, Shams basically reported that the NBA is potentially on the cusp of removing the one and done rule. And what did I tell you at the time? I said, this is not anything that anybody wants except for Adam Silver. Just think about it at its most basic level. Think about everything that college basketball is currently doing for the NBA. It allows NBA teams to not have to evaluate high school players. It allows them not to have to draft high school players. It allows them to see them against older competition. 
It allows these NBA teams to see how they handle themselves when they're living away from home, when mom and dad aren't there, when they have responsibility, when they have to go to class, when people aren't all over them. Not to mention the marketing, the branding, this to that, the other thing. Add in NIL, nobody's going broke in college anymore. And college is the perfect minor league feeder system for the NBA. And so GMs don't want to draft 18-year-olds. Coaches don't want to coach them. Um, agents don't want to give up leverage in the draft process in terms of how to finagle players to certain spots. And so it comes down to everything that I told you. There's only one person that wants this rule changed. It's Adam Silver. His GMs don't want it. His coaches don't want it. His front offices don't want it. His owners don't want to pay unproven 18-year-olds. I don't get why this is the hill that he wants to die on. I mean, I'm not surprised, right? I mean, nothing this guy does makes sense. Everything he touches turns to you-know-what, doo-doo. I'm just going to say it. First time I've ever used that term on the show, but that's exactly what it turns into. And so I just – I don't get it. I don't get what his fascination is. It's not unfair. Players are now making millions at the college level. You, you get another year to scout them, to evaluate them, to develop them. I just don't get this one from Adam Silver's perspective. I really don't. Finally, where Aaron was wrong. So we've talked a lot about expansion on this show or in this segment, expanding the college football or the college basketball NCAA tournament, expanding Big Ten in favor. I'm not in favor of expansion. In general, I'm not in favor of expansion. In general, expansion waters stuff down. It's going to water down the NCAA tournament. I don't really love it for college football. Um, I don't really love it for even the NFL. We went to seven playoff teams last year. That last team didn't belong. But with that said, I have to admit something. I caught some of the MLB playoffs last weekend with that expanded wild card round. I don't even know what they call it, but basically the way the MLB playoffs are set up now is it used to be the wild card game fed into the wild card round. Now you have four teams playing a three-game series. Those winners advance to the wild card round where they play the top four teams and you know top two teams in each league, the American League and the National League. I liked it. Exciting games, packed houses, games from, you know, noon Eastern till 10, 11 o'clock at night. It made for probably a really fun Friday, Saturday, Sunday of baseball into this week where Tuesday, Wednesday were awesome, Thursday as well. I give MLB credit. I'm not generally in favor of expanding things, especially postseasons, but I think they got this one right. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. What a show it was. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. I want to thank you guys and girls for listening. And that's it for me. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F head. Unblock me, even though I just quoted you. I still don't like you. Why'd you block me? I'll be back on Monday. New episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Have a good weekend, people. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.